Hello, and welcome to Doc to Me. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen, and you sounded like Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> We've already drank too much. Okay. And this week we are concluding part one of Making a Murderer by covering episode five through ten. And this is where it slows down a little as we go over courtroom stuff and the aftermath of the jury decisions. But I can still get pissed off. <laughs> and then we'll end with a few things the documentary just happened not to mention. All right, hold on to your butts. So episode five, the state moves to exclude the blood vial as evidence, which the judge denies. Then the state asked the judge to allow FBI testing to prove the blood in the RAV4 wasn't planted, which he does. A week which is apparently a test that they don't even use anymore. How often is it like, well, they planted it. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, it, how do you even, like, didn't they have to create a test? Yeah, it was like, well, we got to figure out how to redo uh. this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why are we so burpy? Because we drank we so ate, much well, and we, we had Taco fast. Bell. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all that liquor. A week before Stephen's trial is to begin, the state still hasn't decided if they want Brendan to, to testify, which that says something. Because he's back and forth. <laughs> yeah. It is so wishy-washy. Then the defense brings up that if Brendan doesn't testify, then the court needs to dismiss the three added charges of sexual assault, kidnapping, and false imprisonment, which, duh, if you don't have his testimony, you can't. Yeah, you have no idea what the fuck happened. The judge agrees to dismiss two of the charges, sexual assault and kidnapping. So headed into trial, Stephen is being charged with first degree, intentional homicide, mutilation of a corpse, felon in possession of a firearm and false imprisonment i still don't understand why he would have guns if he thought the cops were out to get him i don't <laughs> so dumb. not very smart no <laughs> you're giving them reasons to arrest you uh anyway jury is selected and they range in age from 20 to 80 which what the fuck i don't want a 20 year old deciding my faith and I certainly don't want a fucking 80-year-old. <laughs> like, 80. Didn't they, like, do, like, a breakdown of, like, the different, like, uh, occupations of these yeah. people? And they're like, what's well, an international recording artist? <laughs> like, I'm like, who the fuck is that? In Wisconsin? <laughs> in Wisconsin, yeah. They live in that county. Like, <laughs> who is it? I need to know. But I was like, you expect an 80-year-old to stay alert all day during a trial? God forbid if there's any windows in the courtroom and he falls asleep in a sunbeam, you're never going to wake him up. And the trial's expected to last six weeks. <laughs> they six die. weeks of keeping a 20-year-old and an 80-year-old paying attention. Trials are so boring. And I enjoy watching them. <laughs> I know. I think I've never been picked as a juror because I want it so badly. <laughs> they can like smell it on me. Why isn't there a cutoff on jury duty? You should be exempt. <laughs> I don't understand that. Uh, February 12, 2007, the trial begins. Beforehand, the judge rules that the defense cannot bring forth any alternate suspects to the jury by name except for Brennan. That stuff I'm kind of iffy about. If it jury hears that a person might have been seen near a crime that means nothing but if they hear specifically that so-and-so was seen nearby that means something yeah i i don't understand why you would 
deny that possibility. Like, I don't get that. Because I feel like a lot of times, like, people on a jury are less likely or, like, are less inclined to be like, ah, they're not guilty without someone else being there as a backup. Yeah, I feel like if you have a name to put forth. Yeah, like, they they don't want to say, oh, that person didn't do it because who did? They need to have someone be guilty so basically if the cops have tunnel vision and don't look at any other suspects the defense has nothing to go on as another possibility which that kind of sucks and there were so many other potentials that they didn't ever look into yeah brennan's brother bobby is the first witness and he testifies he saw Teresa in front of steven's house and when he left to go hunting Teresa's car was still there but she was not seen and then there's a huge kerfuffle about dates of conversations he had with Stephen. No, with didn't he say that she was walking towards Stephen's house? I think he saw her walking towards the house, took a shower, came out, didn't see her, but her car That's was still there. That's what it was, there. yeah. Yeah, the confusion with the dates, the defense asks for mistrial, the judge denies the motion. They make such a big deal about this which i don't really understand it's been well over a year and you're supposed to remember certain dates of when a conversation happened i i understand dates are important but it's it was basically arguing over a joke steven had made when i am on trial for murder i like to keep my dates and conversations but they were arguing about when steven might have made some joke well I think that in that situation, wasn't it because he was saying they were like, oh, he, what did you do with her? He, and he was, was like, oh, she's in my closet. Like, it, it was in poor taste, but it was... Right, but they I all think, agreed it, was, I think it was because he wasn't the one who originally was supposed to have told that to the police. It was somebody else. It was... I don't know. It was, it was a weird, like, they, you know, at, even the reporters were like, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it was a huge thing. And it's not like Stephen admitted guilt to him and told him details about the killing. It was really stupid. Uh, we find out through Teresa's brother that on November 3rd, he was told Teresa's voicemail was full. He knew the password and got into it to listen to voicemail. Guess the password. I don't know. I mean, it's family member. I I fucking can't guess any of my family members' passwords. I can guess my husband's, one of his passwords, eventually. No, I couldn't. Anyway, so he was listening to voicemails and might have deleted some of the messages, which I remember this leading to, like, some conspiracy that he did it on purpose to hide evidence, which... Okay, but I will say he was kind of suspicious when he was talking to the reporters or whatever when she initially was first reported missing and he was talking about like grieving and all of that like he was referring to her like she was dead before they had ever found the car before they ever found her bones any of that which always anytime anyone refers to someone in past past tense tense, i'm always oh you fucker but i got you now like oh he did it on purpose to hide it evidence or something and i was like i know i've deleted voicemail messages by accident like, I can see that being a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that he probably wasn't good under pressure. Yeah. The next person to take the stand is a detective, and the ve- defense is all on him about 
why did the cops single out Stephen Avery? Shouldn't you have started with the boyfriend? But I don't know. He, he was the last person seen with her, and he has a pretty intense criminal background. It's not a stretch to go after him. Then they tried to put forth that it was suspicious that her roommate didn't report her missing, which she's a grown woman with a boyfriend and a job. Oh, he's an ex-boyfriend. No. It was a roommate. She was still friends with her ex-boyfriend, and she had a boyfriend. Oh, they must not have interviewed the boyfriend? Because I didn't see him on... Maybe that was the ex-boyfriend? But they were friends. Right, no, they were still friends because they saw each other on Sunday... And then what, she went missing on Monday. But it was, like, she she has a life. I don't think a roommate's really concerned about a couple of days. If it had been a week, I'm sure he would yeah. have reported her. Yeah, exactly. The, the roommate, I don't think, was suspicious at all. No, he clearly did something. Why didn't he report her after, like, three days? I do <laughs> I think don't. it was the whole ex-boyfriend and the search thing was kind of weird, but... Not because he was searching, because, I mean, again, they were still friends, despite having broken up or whatever. And they yeah, dated for five fucking yeah, years. from, like, high school and stuff. But what I do find suspicious is that, or not suspicious necessarily, but, like, odd, is that, like, he, like, had the person go search the salvage yard. I guess it was her aunt or something like that. Um, go search the salvage yard. And I, I thought it was weird that despite 40 acres... No, no, no. When you look at, we'll get into that. If you look at the pictures of it, it's it makes sense why they found it so quickly. Um, so next to the stand is her ex boyfriend, who she's still still clearly friends with. Defense is shocked to learn that he was able to guess the password to her phone account. They'd been together for five years and are still friends. That's it was something to do with like her sisters or something. Yeah, it was like her sister's birthdays. Yeah. And then they also bring up that the cops didn't treat him like a suspect when they came over to take a police report, which why would they have any reason to believe he was involved? And well, they can quickly figure out where she's last seen. Well, because the significant other is always the first suspect. <sighs> they really didn't seem to sense that anything was wrong. Yeah. Uh, and now they're letting the supposed suspect help organize a search party to just trample all over the Avery property where they clearly had an opportunity to plan evidence. It's a stretch. Teresa's cousin Pam testifies about finding Teresa's car at the salvage yard, and the defense is aghast that she was able to find the car in like 15 minutes in this huge 40-acre lot. It's like a needle in a haystack, right? There were a shit ton of fucking cars. It's literally at the front of the yard where they came in. It, they didn't have to go far. But at the same time, in my mind, I'm like, how the fuck are you so stupid? They, Like they said, he had a crusher. Why would you not crush the car? Because you, then you can't really get rid of the car. So I think that would be more, more suspicious if this car is not that old. What's wrong with it? Why did you immediately crush it? You did, It's not old. You could use some parts from it. I think that would be more suspicious. You didn't do a very job harding it. Um, but yeah, it's literally like at the front of the yard where they came in. It's kind of off to the side, but if it kind of seemed like if you were at the beginning of the yard and you turned to the side, it's kind of suspicious. There's all these cars out in the open, and this is just one car with branches and wood piled up against it. It kind of sticks out. So dumb. But it's also, you know specifically what car you're looking for. I would think that would help narrow it down. If it's like a blue-green car, you're not going to look at red cars. 
It's true. Didn't really shock me that they were able to find it. It does catch the attention of why is this car covered up with stuff. But then that also leads me to how could the police have planted this car? Because it's not like it was by itself. It was a row of cars that were front to back. So there was a car there and they had to move that to put this car in there or that spot just happened to be open. Also, like, that's a really skilled job of parallel parking because, like, my ass couldn't get in that space. But that's why I was like, how did they plant this car there? It's, that's one of those, I'm like, I don't see that. But why would they plant the key if they didn't plant the car? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Once they found the key in the car, I don't know. (laughs) God damn it. Anyway, um, so they were trying to make it sound like, oh, they involved these civilians with finding the car, and yet these civilians haven't spilled the beans that, hey, the cops told us to look right here. It doesn't make sense. Not to mention, we get civilians involved all the time for search parties. <laughs> it's called well, a it's, fucking search party. Well, it was her aunt and her aunt's daughter, so you expect this teenager not to say, hey, the cops told us where the car was. Snitches get stitches, bro. <laughs> Episode 6. Now we go back to March 2006 after they've arrested Brendan. Based on what he has to say, they return to the Avery property and begin looking for more evidence. This is when I was like, I hate that they don't have a consistent timeline where they keep going back and forth, and it's obnoxious. Yeah, it, it definitely was very confusing. Yeah. Like, I prefer my timeline to just be straight yeah. to the point. I just felt like I was getting whiplash of, let's go back to March. Let's go back to November. And, and then like, I'm like, oh, what year is it? Yes. They go investigate Stephen's garage and find a flattened bullet. The defense jumps on this about how they could have conducted other searches on the property and never found the bullet until this one, which all the other searches were just to find her or find evidence of her belongings or something. Right. They weren't really looking for a bullet. And also, did you get a look at that garage? There was so much shit. And they're finding this flattened bullet. (laughs) It's insane. They literally had to move everything around yeah. in the garage. Like, that is fucking insane. I would have just been like, eh, fuck it. It's too much work. They only found the bullet on the search months later after Brandon told them that that's where she had been shot in the garage. So if they're told she shot in the garage, then you know, hey, there might be bullets in this garage. You're going to look for that. But obviously, since a Manitowoc officer found it, it was planted. And then we listen to an anthropologist who testifies about looking at bone fragments and seeing damage done to the bone from gunshots. Which, yeah, they're able to figure out this could have been the cause of death. They're seeing marks in the bones of a bullet. Which made me wonder, like, when did they figure this out? Was it before they talked to Brendan? And that's how they told him, hey, she was shot in the head? There wasn't really a timeline established. No. It was, it's, it's so confusing. That's why I was like, when did they figure out that that was the cause of death? Because if it was before they talked to Brennan, then yeah, they would have, that's how they would have planted that in his head. There was so little of her, Yeah, we never get an answer to this. The DNA technical leader testifies, and can we talk about her hair? (laughs) Bitch has some big hair. There's so many secrets in it. Like, she, I felt like she gave a hairdresser, like, a picture of Dolly Parton and was like, I want this. (laughs) 
She killed the ozone layer with all that fucking hairspray. Oh, my God. She testifies about finding Teresa's DNA on the bullet fragment and also mentions that in the control sample, her own DNA was inadvertently added. The defense like, jumps the fuck, on this and says, well, clearly she can't be trusted and she messed up and somehow could have added Teresa's DNA to the bullet fragment like she's just throwing DNA around willy-nilly. I mean, clearly she was. She just. She even says she was teaching students. She might have, when she was talking, her DNA. It, it was believable the way she described it. But they were trying to make it sound like, thing. no, Teresa's DNA just somehow got onto this bullet. I'm like, people aren't just swinging DNA around in a room. Yes, they are. No, they are so anal about I'm testing DNA procedures. right here. They test, like, one thing at a time. They clean everything with bleach before processing. They take all these notes. But at the same time, there are definitely chances of things being fucked up. Don't you remember the case where, like, the DNA tech was, like, considered a suspect because his DNA was, like... But that's why they have, like, control samples and stuff or something like that. Like, if she was really out to get him, you think, why would she even mention this mistake? That's true, but, I mean... And it's the control sample. It's not like the actual sample you're testing. But it's these little There's things. DNA everywhere. Yeah, the little things the defense has to bring forth. Uh, they even bring up that clearly she's terrible and could have processed the DNA from the bullet in a tube that wasn't cleaned properly and could have contaminated with DNA from another item from another case. And somehow that DNA didn't show up on the results. It's so dumb. I also think it should You're be mentioned... You're talking about my boyfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry. I also think it should be mentioned that since the bone fragments were so damaged, they weren't be able to get a great DNA profile from them, so they were using DNA from a pap smear Teresa had gotten. So make sure you get your pap smears. Or don't, because it may be used against you like BTK's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that just felt so invasive. But still, get them every year. <laughs> or don't if you suspect your family might be a killer. Or do <laughs> and put your DNA profile online publicly so that the popo can find out. <laughs> so anyway, this woman is totally out to get Stephen Avery. They don't really mention that she was involved with the testing of the pubic hair for the Innocence Project that released him from his 1985 arrest. Oh, man, she was she the one was throwing involved. pubes around? Yeah. I don't remember them mentioning that part, but she helped free him. She but no, she's out pubes. to get him. Uh, the defense has a problem with burned remains being found not only 20 feet behind Stephen's house in a burn pit, but also in a barrel behind Brennan's mother's house and in a quarry not far from Stephen's house. I don't remember them ever saying for sure that the quarry were her bones. They just said they found human remains. Maybe there are a lot of dead people. <laughs> but a majority of the cremains were found in the pit behind his house. But again, he has nothing to do with it. A majority of the bodies were found under John Wayne Gacy's house, so I guess he had nothing to do with it. They didn't find them all there. Hey, man, let me just say, like, <laughs> it is super easy for someone to sneak dead bodies <laughs> under a house, okay? They don't have to live there for it to happen. <laughs> also, they seem to leave out that they found items belonging to Teresa, like her phone and camera, in a burn barrel in front of his house. How do you explain that one? 
recess. <laughs> so we have people dumping stuff all around the outside of his house and in his garage and no one sees this. I still believe the police could have planted something, but I don't think it's possible to do all of this. I could see the key. I, I could see the key being planted, but I mean... <laughs> it's a lot of evidence. It is. It is. It's a lot. He's a lot stacked against him. Yeah. <sighs> Episode 7, we're focusing on that fucking key. It was discovered by a Manitowoc officer, so of course it's planted. Uh, but also... What the fuck? They were not supposed to be involved. <laughs> Calumet officers were also there for the surge, so I guess they're in on it as well. Prosecutors put forth it was on an end table and must have gotten jostled and fell to the floor was found. Defense tried to argue that it fell to the floor and no one heard it hit. It's a carpeted floor. <laughs> There's other people in the room that could have been talking to each other. I... It wasn't like a fucking bomb going off. Yeah, he's off. like, well, I could drop it from this height. I'm like, dude, nobody's dropping the key from <laughs> five feet in the air. It was a side table. <laughs> the prosecution explains that the key wasn't found during the... It wasn't found during the seventh search of the trailer like they made it sound. It was the second search of the trailer. Because during previous entries, the bedroom wasn't always visited, and not every entry was a search. For example, there was an entry to check the serial number on Steven's computer in his living room. So that's not technic that's technically a search, but it's not really a search. Right, they weren't searching the and entire yeah, trailer. They as were as just soon as they got what they needed, they thing. left. So, yeah, defense made it seem like they've been to this house so many times and they never found it. It's like, well, no. They would go in, look for one thing, and then get right back out. That's what warrants are for. Also, and guys, stuff. How many times have I lost shit in my own house? <laughs> yeah. So, about the DNA, the defense pointed out the fact that only Avery's DNA was on the key and raised the question why only one person's DNA can be on the key and it isn't the DNA of the person who supposedly used the key on a regular basis. The state, through their witness, forensic scientist John Ertle, explained that it's not unusual when two people handle an object, you'll only find the DNA of the second handler basically saying Avery's the last person to handle the key. Uh, chances increase when the second handler has the object in his possession for a longer period of time. You know, things conveniently kind of left out. Right, like it would have, you know, his DNA could have like rubbed off like while yeah. he was handling it. So now defense is throwing out accusations about cops showing up and planning evidence on the SUV. If they're saying that cops put the SUV there, then why would they wait until it's found to show up and plan evidence on it? if they apparently had it for all this time. They try to insinuate the Manitowoc cops snuck into the crime scene, which is dumb because you can't sneak into a scene with other cops from other departments who recognize you are there. I agree Manitowoc shouldn't have been there, but to say they planted evidence in front of all these other officers is kind of ridiculous. Then we have testing done on the blood evidence to prove it originated from the blood vial from Steven's original case. The FBI handles this testing and finds no evidence of EDTA in these blood stains, uh, which EDTA is a chemical added to the blood vials to preserve the samples. So now not only is Manitowoc and Calumet involved with the framing, but also the FBI. What could they gain from that? FBI does not give a shit about these things county cops. I mean, they're all bros. <laughs> Defense files to dismiss the false imprisonment charge and the 
judge grants the motion. So now we're back to the original three charges from before Brennan's arrest. Episode eight is a short one to talk about. It's just a lot of let's stare at people as they wait for a verdict. We have two days of closing arguments from both sides, which I hate that they show this because they're just reiterating what they've already talked about in the previous episodes. It's like 20 minutes they could have cut it. This whole show could have been like maybe eight episodes. We don't need to watch people But we walking. ate that shit up oh when it came God. out. I went at one point we just watched Dolores like on a golf cart going around the farm. I was like, why, why do we need this? I think that was like the last episode. Made freaking television. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> uh, after four and a half hours of deliberation, one of the jurors needed to be dismissed for a family emergency. So they have to start all over with deliberations with alternative juror, which at least it happened the first day and not like a week into it, where then you got to start over. It's not a total waste of time. On March 18th, Avery was found guilty of first-degree murder and illegal possession of a firearm and was acquitted on the corpse mutilation charge. He's sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus five years on the weapons charge to run concurrently. So now it's time to prepare for Brennan's trial set to start April 16th, 2007. A jury from Dane County. Brennan's trial is much shorter because all they have to focus on are the interviews and interrogation. That's literally the only thing connecting him to this crime. Right. There is no evidence. No DNA evidence. And I love when one of Brendan's lawyers is questioning an officer. One of the officers that interviewed uh, Brendan, the guy described him acting as withdrawn, head down, and not speaking much. And the lawyer responded, like an average teenager? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I respond, and I'm a grown-ass woman. Like, no shit. No kid wants to talk to a cop. The jury gets to watch over three hours of the interview from March 1st where Brennan admits to helping with the crime, but they don't show the last hour and a half, which is when Brennan was talking to his mother about how he lied and that the investigators were getting to his head. Yeah, which is the most important part. I don't understand why the defense agreed not to show that part. Yeah, like, it just... That's a huge part of your defense. <sighs> And now the juror who left for the family emergency is now hanging out with the Avery family? It was weird how all of a sudden he was like buddies with them. It's their family emergency. <laughs> that was his family emergency. He needed a new family. <laughs> uh, the prosecutors bring in Brennan's cousin Kayla to present her testimony to the police that Brennan told her about burning the body. She gets on the stand and admits she made the whole thing up. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So now they have a witness that made shit up and a confession from Brendan that was clearly coerced. It's a slam dunk case. Good job thinking you can hinge your entire case on kids. Which, I guess, in the end, though, it ended up working for him. Brennan agrees to testify at trial. We learn right away he doesn't know the difference between a foot and a yard but somehow he's this heartless killer who is so smart. He sticks with his original timeline of playing video games, the phone calls, watching TV, and then going over to the bonfire at around nine. Which, I'm wondering, why did they not get these people that he spoke with on the phone? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I'm pretty or sure even... if he answered the phone and had a conversation, he wasn't off stabbing a woman. But it's one of those, if the prosecution doesn't call him, then you can't call him, I think. 
Because if that was the case, then yeah, he could have had his mom up there say, I got home at five, he was home. I would think that you'd be able to call your own witnesses as the defense. I don't know. But we're also only seeing like 30 minutes of a trial. I didn't have time to go through court records and read transcripts. <laughs> this was already so much. The prosecution tried to say that Brennan was so upset about participating in the murder that he cried all the time and lost 40 pounds. Brennan testified he was upset about a girlfriend dumping him and kids at school were calling him fat, so he lost 5 to 10 pounds. It's <laughs> a big difference. What a horrible thing to have to say to a bunch of strangers. You were crying all the time and lost weight because your girlfriend dumped you and kids were calling you fat. That's horrible. He's a teenager. (laughs) You're ruining his life. God. And then this is the first time we hear anything about... Oh, no. Uh, And the first time he heard anything about Teresa is when he saw it on the news about her being missing. And I love that all these people are shocked that kids would lie, especially teenagers. I really wish the defense would have had an expert testify about coerced confessions. Like, they didn't do enough to defend him. No, they really didn't. They really failed him. And after nine days, the judge hands the case over to the jury. And after only four hours, they find this child guilty of first-degree intentional homicide, mutilating a corpse, and second-degree sexual assault. Which is ridiculous. Four hours to decide to send a 17-year-old kid who's never had any problems away from life. Wait, he's literally never been in trouble. His mom fucking loses it. And of course the media films her breakdown. Fuck you. Uh, Brendan is sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of early release in 2048. Episode 10 is 2009, two years after the verdicts. This is where we pick back up. Stephen has had his first post-conviction hearing in front of the same judge, which that's not really unheard of. I don't know why he was shocked by that. We get to meet his new girlfriend, Sandy. She started writing to him after watching the trial, and that's how they ended up together. She seems really sweet, though. Uh, Three days after the post-conviction hearing, judge denies the motion. Brendan has a new attorney, and he's trying to request a new trial. His new attorney has a history of working to overturn cases based on wrongful convictions of youths youths and coerced confessions in the court case it's revealed that yeah his previous attorney Kaczynski was straight up working with the police to try and get Brennan to just plead guilty and take a plea deal yeah which not what you do as an attorney led to completely fucking his chance of ever getting a fair trial It was to the point that his attorney was even avoiding meeting with Brandon in hopes that Brandon would get so desperate for anybody to come see him in prison that he would just agree to anything his attorney said. It's horrible. In his notes to his own investigator, he described the Avery family as, quote, These people are pure evil. This is a one-branch family tree. Cut this tree down. We need to end the gene pool here. What the fuck? Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. You're representing a 16-year-old kid, not, like, a multi-state serial killer. Seriously. It's it's insane. This is a child who doesn't know what inconsistent means. (laughs) He was confused about a foot in a yard. (laughs) 
the judge denies the motion for a new trial and the Center on Wrongful Convictions of Youth will take Brennan's case to the Wisconsin State Court of Appeals. Ooh, Prosecutor Kratz. He's not a good guy. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It comes out that Prosecutor Kratz had an inappropriate relationship with a domestic abuse victim whose case he was handling. He sent like 30 sexually explicit texts to her. It's disgusting. Uh, one of them was, are you the kind of girl that likes secret contact with an older married elected DA? The riskier the better. <laughs> the riskier the better. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Nearly a year before the story broke, he exchanged emails with the Wisconsin Department of Justice where he's trying to get ahead of the story. After all this becomes public, five women come forward with allegations he sent inappropriate texts with one woman reporting that he invited her on a date to an autopsy. Also, I would like that kind of date. I was going to say, I mean, I'd be fine with that, but I'm fucking weird. <laughs> he seeks treatment for Dinner and drug... an autopsy. <laughs> I'd be fine with it, but whatever. He seeks treatment for drug abuse and sexual addiction, and in 2010, he resigns. I'm a fucking predator. <laughs> Seriously. Who the fuck preys on a battered woman? It's so gross. But, you know, what do we know? I guess we're not the kind of girls that like secret contact with an older married elected DA. <laughs> not that older. <laughs> August 2011, Wisconsin Court of Appeals upholds the original decision denying Stephen a new trial. Four months later, the Wisconsin Supreme Court refused to review his case. At this point, his state appeals are exhausted, and he is no longer entitled to appointed counsel and is left without a lawyer. He researches and files a 38-page motion for post-conviction relief so he can get a new attorney. God damn it. It has so been he, eternity. So he can get a new attorney. January 30th, 2013, Brennan is again denied a new trial, so his lawyers petition the Wisconsin Supreme Court to review his case. They also say no. And that's basically the end of this. Uh, just a couple of last interviews with family and other people involved with the case. Midlife crisis from the excused juror, which I don't understand. He had nothing to do with sending him to prison. I don't know what he wants us to do about it. Go see a counselor, my you guy. You weren't even there. Yeah. So glad this is done. I can wash my brain of it. I hope Brennan can get out sooner than, was it 2048? He'll be like 59. And I hope he gets his fucking $36 million. Yeah, if anybody needs it, it's him. Because that kid didn't fucking do it. So let's get into the few things the documentary forget to mention, because it is a bit biased. I mean, it had me ready to... That part where they completely underplayed the cat thing, I think by far was like, what? Just glossed over the fact he that he just he's... tossed it into a fire. No, he poured accelerant on it and watched it burn. Which is something only psychos do. Yes. Um, Steven's DNA, not blood, was found on the latch under the hood of Hallback's SUV. That's pretty big. Uh, 8.12 a.m. on October 31st, Stephen called Auto Trader and asked them to send that same girl who was here last time. He then gave a fake name and his sister's number, which when they played that voicemail from her, that was from his sister's phone. That was where that voicemail came from. 
she had refused to go to his property because earlier in the month he had answered his door wearing just a towel, which freaked her out. She didn't want anything to do with him, which I thought that was real convenient to leave that part out. Yeah. But she was scared of him. They'd met before. The bullet with her DNA on it came from a gun that had hung above his bed. Uh, and then yeah like the her personal things the phone camera a few other things from like her purse two witnesses saw Stephen burn them in the barrel near the front of his house the bones found in the fire pit were mixed in with steel belts from car tires which that wouldn't support the theory the bones were planted there so when they said they had that bonfire they were burning car tires and a dead body the steel from the car tires was found mixed with the bones uh, a Wisconsin State Journal article uh, elaborated on this. Investigators said in the court documents that they found steel belts of about six tires that were used as fire accelerants. They also found a number of five-gallon buckets that appear to have been used to distribute burned remains. Penny Bernson didn't want to participate in this documentary because she felt the filmmakers had already made up their minds about Stephen being innocent. Uh, she said, I didn't feel they were journalists seeking the truth. I felt they had a foregone conclusion and were looking for a forum in which to express it. Stephen had multiple alleged incidents of physical and sexual violence. No mention of that. Yeah, even his girlfriend. Yeah. So yeah, we'll just leave you with that. Rate and review us wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Any other infos, show notes. Mm. I'm so glad to be done with this. I don't want to see his face again. <laughs> but also, free Dassey. Yes, I'm fine with him being out. Poor kid. Yeah. I just want to give his mom a hug. I know. Poor baby. <laughs> Blow the goddamn table. Not mine. <laughs> Go home and do it to your own. <laughs> all right well thank you for listening we'll be back next week yay <laughs> maybe we'll do something equally as like just i just don't want something this time consuming what do you mean you don't want to do the staircase <laughs> no god no <laughs> that one is so much slower it was not a fucking owl i said it was it the gay escorts i don't know Maybe he threw a book at her and it knocked her down the stairs. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I fantasize about that. We all have. <laughs> you don't even have stairs. Uh, step out into the garage and step at the front door. That's not enough stairs it's to kill step. anyone, okay? <laughs> gonna hit the corner of their head. You don't know. We're gonna cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case my husband goes missing. <laughs> uh, okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>